Okay, so you want to go on a road trip, say from Muncie to San Diego, because you like to surf. You take your car into John the Mechanic for a quick tune-up. No, a tune-up. He checks your oil and spark plugs and puts your car on a lift to rotate your tires. He says your tires need to be realigned so your car doesn't pull too far to the right when you're up in Canada. So think of yourself as the car. And you're on this journey called life, and it's not a game. How do you make sure you will reach your final destination? How do you align yourself with God's purposes for your life? Well, we'll give you a lift today, and together align ourselves for a great year. You'll never know how long that took for us to do for you. We hope you appreciate it. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. And, uh, you know, it's been a good new year, except for last night and uh, the Colts lost, so we're all a little discouraged. But uh, as the video kind of alluded to, our theme for this next year is Align in 09. We want people to align their lives and their families and as an entire church to align ourselves and our community into a more closely connected relationship with Jesus uh, and His teachings and His life. And when you came in today, each one of you received a little card that uh, looks like this. It says a line in 09. It's in your program. If you could pull that out just for a second. And what I'd like you to do is put this somewhere where you'll see it each day. And there are two places that you'll visit every day the refrigerator, and the restroom. So I don't care where you put it. You don't have to confess to me, but put it in one of those two places. And our goal as a church, as jarheads, is to meet these four challenges in the next year. And I'll just kind of read through them so that we're all on the same page. Uh, Align in 09. First, spend time with God. Set aside ten minutes a day to talk to God through prayer and reading the Bible. And we'll talk about that more. The second challenge, sharing community. Regularly attend Sunday celebrations. All of you are here on the first Sunday of the new year. So just make a commitment to say, you know what? I'm going to make it a priority to be here each week. It'd be a great thing for you to connect with God more. And be a part of a small group. You might think about that with ten other people. Third, serve the church. Find a way that you can use your talents to serve in the church. There are many things that you can do in the life of the church. We want you to be a part of that. And then fourth, seek out. Think of two people who are not connected with Christ or the church and just start kind of thinking about praying for them. And uh, pick people who you connect with regularly who live in Muncie or Delaware County rather than San Diego. Because Aunt Beulah, who's got issues... You know, somebody in San Diego is going to have to take care of them, all right? Um, But this is where we all want to kind of end up at the end of 09 to fulfill kind of those four challenges. So put that up somewhere. Now, this morning, we're going to begin a new series called Road Trip. How many have ever been on a road trip before? Okay? We've all been on a road trip with family or friends, and typically there's a couple things on a road trip. There are the smells in the back seat that uh, all of us can understand. And there are jokes that people say. And 
what I've learned on any road trip, what is even more exciting than the final destination is the journey along the way. And over the next six weeks, we're going to be on a road trip as we get more connected with God. We are going to hit six mile markers each uh, Sunday for the next six weeks. And at those mile markers, you'll want to be a part of it so that you can learn to get more connected with the one who knows you best and loves you most. Now, as we begin this road trip with connecting more with God, I want you to know that it's not going to be neat and tidy. And the reason is, is because none of us are neat and tidy if we were honest with ourselves. All of us are a mess of contradictions and judgments, guilt and shame. We're filled with arrogance and brokenness and hurts and pains. And as we travel through this thing called life with our flub-ups, our mess-ups, and our screw-ups, we need some encouragement. And most people, in fact, a Gallup poll says 90% of all Americans do something daily to try to help them uh, kind of be encouraged. And it's not use the restroom. Okay? So what do you think it is? Anybody want to take a guess? It's what we're talking about today. It's prayer. Prayer. Now, prayer can be defined this way. Simply communicating, having a conversation with God. Simply communicating, having a conversation with God. It involves both sharing and listening to God. So, it's just communicating, having a conversation with God. But prayer, if we're honest, also can feel kind of weird and strange sometimes. I mean, when you go on a road trip with God, you're going with somebody that you can't see. Someone that communicates very differently than we do. And very differently than any of your friends. Someone that challenges you and convicts you like no one else does. But if you choose to go on this road trip with God, I can guarantee you this, and it's this. Your life won't be boring. Your life will never be boring. Because this is a very different type of friendship. So this morning, I want to talk about prayer. Being with God. Being able to communicate with the Creator of the universe. Now, teachings like this sometimes can kind of drip with guilt if we're not careful. I mean, I don't know how many of you left this morning or you leave any morning and you go, Oh, man, I just prayed way too much this morning. I mean, whoa, I am so worn out from praying. I don't know if I can go through the rest of the day I spend so much time. You know, not... Right? So, I don't want us to be discouraged by, why, what, by what we're not doing. I want us to think about prayer and maybe some things that we can do to help us get a little bit more connected. Now, I'd like to begin by sharing with you what I know about prayer. What I, Chris Bunch, knows about prayer. First of all, this is what I know. Prayer is difficult. 
prayer sometimes can be very, very difficult for me. You know, there's dozens of scriptures that kind of start out this way. To you, O Lord, I offer my prayer. In fact, many times I'll do that. I'll say, oh God, I'm offering this prayer to you. Nothing. You know, like I don't know what else to say. I'm like stuck right there. I got this thing, but I don't know what to say. I mean, it seems like each time I sit down to pray, when I get real quiet, I'm like, all right, I'm ready. Immediately, here we go, I'm ready to do. All of a sudden, things start flying into my head. I have to go see that person. I have to go pay a bill. I have to go to the Y for a meeting. I have to take Jordan somewhere. Where am I supposed to? Oh, the doctor. That's where I'm supposed to take it. And then I'm supposed to go to the grocery store and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. All these things are in my head. Anyone relate to that? That ever happened to you? Yeah. My ADD kind of kicks in and it becomes very difficult for me to talk and listen to this person that I can't see and who communicates very differently than me. But the more I talk to people about prayer, this is what I've learned that all of us see prayer as difficult sometimes. And we're all beginners at this level. Every single person here, including the guy talking right now, is a beginner when it comes to prayer. Because that's the way it is. Now I want to kind of show you an example of how difficult prayer can be by showing a clip from the movie uh, Meet the Parents. Now, you'll see that Greg... Kind of the main character is played by Ben Stiller. And he comes to his girlfriend's house for the very first time. And when he gets there, he's intimidated and anxious. You know, any of you that have ever gone to a boyfriend or girlfriend's house, you're kind of nervous about it. And uh, he's really intimidated by Jack Burns, his girlfriend's dad. And they get to sit down for their uh, dinner, their evening dinner. And uh, let's check and look and see what happens. Greg, would you like to say grace? Oh, uh, well, uh, Greg's Jewish, Dad. You know that. You're telling me Jews don't pray, honey? Unless you have some objection. No, 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 no. No, I'd love to. Pam, come on. It's not like I'm a rabbi or something. I said grace at many a dinner table. Dear God, thank you. You are such a good God to us, a, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, O oh sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so <laughs> aptly laying at our table this day and each day by day day by day by day <laughs> oh dear lord three things we pray <laughs> to love thee more dearly to see thee more clearly to follow thee more nearly Day by day. 
by day. Amen. Amen. Oh, Greg, that was lovely. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. <laughs> now, that's a hilarious clip of someone who's struggling with prayer. But the reality is, folks, we all struggle with prayer. And not just praying out loud, but praying silently to ourselves. It's just difficult sometimes. Here's the second thing that I know about prayer. It's this. It confuses me sometimes. Prayer confuses me sometimes. Now, all of you know what the most uh, popular prayer is in the world, right? Anyone want to take a guess? It's It's one word. Help! Right? When it comes right down to it, sometimes you don't know what else to pray. You just go, help! And the Bible puts it this way. All I want is an answer to one prayer. All of us have bargained with God before when it comes to prayer. God, if you'll just answer this one prayer, I promise when you're a little kid, I'll make my bed. And then when you become a teenager, you say, Oh God, if you'll answer this one prayer, I promise I won't cuss so much. And then when we become adults, we go, Oh God, if you'll answer this prayer, I will go to church every single Sunday. And whatever. But there are many, many more prayers than just the prayer of help. And that's what makes prayer so confusing. I mean, there are prayers of salvation, of healing, of praise, of thanksgiving. There are prayers in the Bible of deep depression, of pain, of vulnerability. There are prayers of faith, prayers of authority, prayers of strength. There are prayers of places of discouragement and places of high mountaintop experiences. There are prayers that are deeply personal, prayers for leaders, prayers for the governments, prayers for spiritual warfare. And then, What about the body language of prayer? I mean, do you pray with your eyes closed or with your eyes open? Do you pray with your head bowed or your head lifted up to heaven? Do you pray on your knees or do you pray standing up? And one of my favorite prayers is found in Psalm 149 where the psalmist prays this, Let them sing for joy as they lie on their beds. That's a great verse. Think about that. You can just sleep and pray. Just lay on your bed and pray. It's a great way to do it. You should memorize it. There's also prayers of liturgy. In other words, formal, written down prayers. There are prayers that are spontaneous. There are private prayers and corporate prayers. Do you pray in your closet? Do you pray in the sanctuary? Do you pray in a gymnasium? I had a lady one time tell me, you go to church in a gym? Do you really pray there? No, nah, we just show up, you know. <laughs> and how do you sign off with God? You know, do you say amen or amen? Do you say in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ, 10-4, good buddy? I mean, how do you do, how many our fathers is enough? Do you pray to our Heavenly Father, to Jesus Christ, to the Holy Spirit? I mean, prayer can be very confusing and complicated if we let it that way. 
Here's the one more thing I know about prayer. It's rare that God speaks audibly. It's very rare that God speaks audibly, that He speaks out loud. The number of times that God speaks in the Bible is few and far between. Several times in which the voice of God was heard by groups of people, some of them couldn't differentiate what was actually said. It sounded like this. Anybody know what that is? Not hard. Anybody know what that is? What is it? Thunder! Yeah! I mean, I'm talking about some serious subwoofers that God has, you know? And how do you translate that? Uh, I think he said, you know, like, how do you do that? A few years ago, I read a book called uh, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. Uh, anyone else read that before? Okay. One guy put his hand up over there. One out of all of you. Thanks a lot, guys. That really, whew, something wrong with me and you, dude. I don't know what it, what it is. But uh, you didn't really help me out, guys, that much. But uh, anyway, this book, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus, the book helped me understand that men and women communicate radically in different ways. I mean, it amazes me how I can say one thing to Jennifer, my wife, and she can just translate it into something totally different. And it's tough. And you know, in the same way, we have problems communicating every once in a while with God. So we have to learn His communication style. You see, true wisdom is to understand how God communicates to you. And He communicates to each of us in different ways. And then... Know how He deals with you and the process that happens with that. I mean, some of you, God can just prompt you in a small way, and you're like, okay, God, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever that is. Others of you, He has to take a two-by-four and hit you over the head to get you to move. But once you tap into God's communication style for you and how He deals with you, that's when abundant life really happens. That's when you live an abundant life that Jesus wants you to have, not just today when you leave from this place, but the entire year, aligning yourself in 09. But let's be honest. Today is January 4th. Everything is great. Everything is in front of us. But in a week, or two weeks, or a month, or two months, you're not going to be as optimistic as you are about the new year right now. Something's going to happen in your life that will change. And you're going to become pessimistic and discouraged. And in those moments, you'll ask, what's the point of praying anyway? I mean, if God is going to do whatever God is going to do, why pray? If He already knows my needs before I ask, or if He already knows that Bob is going to get fired, I mean, why pray? Now, without opening a huge Pandora's box of sovereignty and God's will, think about this. Wouldn't that type of thinking affect every aspect of your life? 
I mean, if you went through life just thinking that, you know what, God's going to do whatever He's going to do, and uh, I'm just, you know, I'm not even going to worry about it. I mean, think about that. Why even go to work? You know? Why bother to come to church? Why buy food at Marsh? Because God knows what your needs are, and when you're hungry, He'll just kind of give it to you. I mean, God is going to do whatever He wants to do, so why bother? Why pray? Does it really matter? Now, I just want you to know logically that if you adhered to that with everything in your life, you would eventually become a spiritual paralytic. You'd become paralyzed. And many of you would become couch potatoes. You'd just sit on the couch going, God, feed me. Remember that? Uh, I forget the name of the... Uh, I shouldn't say that. But feed me, Seymour. What was that from? Okay, that's it. All right. That wasn't in the notes, so... You get that free. But you know, you just sit there, feed me, feed me. Well, friends, as your pastor, as someone who loves you, I believe that Scripture tells us this, that we are co-labors with God. That we co-labor with Him for the future, that it would be better. In other words, God chooses to use us to make our future and the future of people around us better. That in God's love for us, He desires a relationship with us so that we would join Him to usher in His will for our lives, for the church, for our community, for our world. God wants to use you for His will. He has a plan, and the question is, do you want to be a part of it? You can't choose your own plan. You have to choose His plan. But do you want to be a part of it? Now, I'm sure some of you are thinking right now, God wants to use me, moi, messed up, screwed up me? Yeah, right. I mean, I'm not worthy to pray to God. I'm not worthy to talk to God. I'm surely not worthy for Him to listen to me or for me to listen to Him. Well, if you're thinking that or you've ever thought that, you're wrong. You're just dead wrong. God chooses us. He chose you, not because of who you are or what you've done, but because He wants a relationship with you. Regardless of your sinfulness or your selfishness, God loves you. God loves you. Because more than anything else, He wants a, a relationship. You are infinitely valuable to God. You're priceless. And when you accept Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, you become a child of His. That's why the question then becomes, why pray? Why pray? Well, the first reason is because it develops a father-child relationship with God. Why should we pray? Because it develops a kind of father-child relationship with God. Now, this Friday... I celebrated an exciting event, or this coming Friday, I will uh, celebrate an exciting event in my life. And that event is, I will be a dad for 20 months. Now, I've made it 20. Some of you have made it much longer than that, I know. But for me, man, I'm just glad I made it to 20 months, you know? Now, I haven't been perfect, but I don't think I've screwed Jordan up too much, you know? She still kind of functions. 
I mean, I tried to do the best I can as a dada to her. And this week, as I was thinking about it, the one thing about this role in my life of being a dad that rise, uh, that rose to the top every time I talked about it was this, that I love to give good things to my daughter, Jordan. I love to give her good things. Now, sometimes I go overboard. When Jordan was only six months, we were at uh, Jennifer's favorite store, Babies R Us. It's not my favorite store. It drives me nuts, to be quite honest. But we're there, and I'm supporting her, and we're going through everything. And I notice that Jordan's eye kind of looks to the left. She can't walk. She can barely move her head at this point in her life. But she looks over, and she sees this, a teddy bear. So I grab the teddy bear, I put it into the cart, and we keep walking. We get up to the uh, cash register, and you know Jennifer is kind of unloading everything, and all of a sudden she looks at this and she goes, What is this? And I said, Jordan needs it. And she looked at me with a straight face. Jordan doesn't need that. Her daddy thinks she needs that. And guess what? Didn't, I didn't care. We still paid for it, and Jordan has it. All right? <laughs> the truth is, I love to give to Jordan. And a good dad, a good father, loves to give to his kids. The Bible says this. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? God loves to give good gifts. And you can take that to the bank. He will always supply the needs of your life if you have a relationship with Him. Here's the second reason why we should pray. It's because prayer develops friendship with God. Prayer develops a friendship with God. The Bible says this, God is my helper. He is my friend. God desires to be your friend. He wants to be your best friend. But just like any healthy friendship... Guess what? You're going to have to invest and give some energy to it. You see, prayer is the key to developing a friendship with God. You want a friendship with somebody? You invest in them. You want a friendship with God? You spend time with them. And one person who demonstrated intimacy and friendship with God more than anyone else was Jesus Christ. Philip Yancey, one of my favorite authors, who uh, wrote a book a couple of years ago called Prayer... Does it make any difference? In one section of this book, he talks about friendship, and this is what he says. Jesus set the pattern of prayer as a continuous mode of friendship. Some scholars believe that Jesus virtually invented private prayer. No one in the Old Testament directly addressed God as Father, whereas Jesus did 170 times. The model prayer he gave deals with the stuff of daily life, God's will, 
food, debts, forgiveness, temptation. And his own prayers showed a spontaneous communion with the Father that had no precedent. His disciples, no novices at prayers themselves, marveled at the difference. And they asked, teach us to pray. The disciples were just amazed by the way that Jesus prayed. He prayed with someone who had authority and power, and more more so, He prayed in such an amazing way, like God was sitting right here beside me on this stool, as a friend, as someone who really wants to hear from us. So when they came and they asked Him, teach us how to pray, He shared with them what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. Now we're going to pray that prayer together in just a second, But it's important to remember just what Jesus talks about before that prayer and what He talks about after that prayer in Matthew 6. Because He kind of sets the context for this prayer and the type of attitude you should have when you pray. You realize that? There is an attitude you should have when you communicate with God. So Jesus, before He gets to the prayer, He says this, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand in the synagogues, the churches, and on the street corners and pray so that people will see them. I tell you the truth, they already have their full reward. When you pray, you should go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who cannot be seen. Then look at this part. Your Father can see what is done in secret and He will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like people who don't know God. They continue saying things that mean nothing, thinking that God will hear them because of their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. So when you pray, you should pray like this. And then Jesus gives to the disciples this prayer that we're going to pray together. And so, kind of like in baseball, there's a seventh inning stretch. We're at the seventh inning, folks. So let's everyone stand up. But don't start singing, take me out to the ball game, okay? We're going to pray this prayer together. It'll come up on the uh, screen here, so let's pray it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. You see, Jesus brought this model prayer to His disciples to remind them that when they pray to God the Father, that it is not just this prayer that is to someone way up there and that we cannot connect with, but it really is as close as our next breath. As close as me sitting to a person on that stool. It's a personal prayer. And that's who you are. A personal friend of God. And He longs for you to spend time with Him. Here's another reason why we should pray. Prayer 
develops a forgiving spirit like God. Prayer develops a forgiving spirit like God. (coughs) Now, after Jesus models this prayer to the disciples, and he talks to them about the importance of being intimate with God, Jesus says these words, And yes, if you forgive others for their sins, your Father in heaven will also forgive you for your sins. But if you don't forgive others, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. You know, there's something that, very, uh, that is very powerful that happens in your life when you choose to release people from debts that they owe you. I mean, when you let them go, when you let them off the hook, when you let them up. You know, for the longest time when I would read this passage, I thought, man, this is kind of conditional. I mean, God is saying, hey, if you don't forgive so-and-so, I'm not going to forgive you. And I thought, man, that's not very, that's not an unconditional, loving type of God. But what I've learned as I've read this and studied it more is that the reason God says this is because He knows that if you don't forgive others, what you'll do is you'll focus on resentment and bitterness and hate towards other people. And you'll do it to a point, and eventually you'll imprison yourself into a prison of unforgiveness. One of my favorite quotes that reminds me the importance of forgiving people quickly and immediately comes from Lewis Smedes when he says this, The first and often the only person to be healed by forgiveness is the person who does the forgiveness. When we genuinely forgive, we set a prisoner free and then discover that that prisoner we set free was us. You see what happens, folks, is many times we think that if we forgive someone else, they should be like, oh, thank you so much. And you know what I found? Most of the time, people who have hurt us, they don't even remember it. They could care less. They're off doing their life, and you're like, I'm on this grudge, and I'm mad, and I'm mean, and ugh. And we do that all the time. When I was in college, my roommate, after our freshman year, he did some things that I just didn't like him. And for three years, I held grudges and resentment towards him. And I thought, boy, I'm getting back at him. You know what happened to me? My heart just got harder. And I became a person that held resentment and grudges. And it's not good. But even more than the pain that unforgiveness does to ourselves or to other people is that it separates us from God. We aren't connected to God when we hold on to unforgiveness. And so when it comes to forgiveness, folks, there's only two ways. There's either your way or there's God's way, but you can't have both. You have to choose. And let me just remind you this. There is no one that you will ever have to forgive in your life in which God hasn't forgiven you more. Now, forgive doesn't mean forget. It doesn't mean that you just let them run over you, do whatever. I mean, if someone has repeatedly hurt you, it doesn't mean that you just keep trusting them. They have to build up that trust again. They have to be able to do that. They must prove that they can change. But when someone hurts you, you forgive them. You let them go immediately so you can get on with your future. Because this is what I found. When you don't forgive, you just put heaviness on yourself. And as you try to go in the future, you're held back because of your unforgiveness. And prayer is the most powerful tool for forgiveness. 
Because when you're connecting with God, you realize, man, he's forgiven me so much. I need to forgive other people in my life. So I just want to ask you, who do you need to forgive? I'd like you to think of 2008. Who was the most difficult person in your life? I bet you don't have to think about it very much. You probably have a picture right now with a big X, you know, in there. Maybe it's an ex-spouse. Maybe it's a mom. Maybe it's a dad. Maybe it's your brother. Maybe your sister. Maybe it's, you know, a friend, a family member. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's a neighbor. But you know who that person is. And I just want to tell you something. Don't go into the new year carrying that. Just forgive them. Let them go. Let them off the hook so that God can forgive you. Here's the final reason of why pray. But maybe the most important. And it's that prayer develops submission to God. Prayer develops submission to God. Now, how many of you, by a sign of hands, love the word submit? Good. I don't have to call any of you liars today. No one likes that word submit. In a parent-child relationship, children hate to submit to their parents. In a marriage relationship, wives hate to submit to their husbands, and husbands hate to submit to their wives. In the church, Christians hate to uh, submit to each other. But I think the relationship that we really dislike to submit to more than anything else is with God. You you see, to submit to God means that you put His agenda above your own. You are underneath His agenda. Your mission is underneath His. That's why the word sub means underneath. Like a submarine means what? Underwater. Underneath water. And so submission means under another person's mission. You are under God's mission mission. I mean, God is God and I'm not. He is Lord and Master. I am subject and servant. And when I submit myself to Him, when I get underneath His mission, then I really can have a deep and fulfilling and abundant life. And Jesus modeled this more than anyone else. If you remember, just before He went to the cross, The night before that, he's in a garden and he's praying to God. And it said that he prayed so profusely that he was sweating drops of blood. His capillaries had become so stressed that they were bleeding from his face. And you know why? Because he wasn't sure he wanted to go to the cross. and He wasn't sure that he really wanted to be able to be separated from God in that moment. And he said, Father, if there's any way for this to be taken away, let it happen. And you know what God said, His Father said, His Heavenly Father? No. And sometimes God says no to us. And sometimes then we just get away from God. You know what Jesus did? He drew closer to God. And then He went to a cross. And He went to a cross for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of the world because He loves you that much. He submitted Himself to the Father's will. He was underneath God. His mission under God's mission. In fact, the Bible says this, Submit yourselves then to God. Come near to God and He will come near to you. Surrender your heart to God. 
turn to Him in prayer. The best and most effective prayer that you can ever have is a prayer of submission where you say, I want to put my will underneath God's will. When you surrender your will to God's will, when you say, God, when you communicate to Him, you say, this is my need, but you accept what He says, that's when you're closest to God. You see, a lot of people think God is a vending machine. You put the money in and you should get whatever you want. That's not the way it works. You simply go to the vending machine and you say, God, this is what I want, but whatever you give me, I'll take. That's what His personal blessing is about. Because the best place that you can be is underneath God's mission. Friends, at the core of prayer is personal submission to God. And when you pray, the Bible says, when God's people pray for help, He listens and rescues them from their troubles. Today, whatever you're going through, God wants to hear you and help you. He wants to hear you and help you. Now, we're going to close... And I'd like each of you to get this brown piece of paper out here for a second. Now what this is, is kind of your road map for the next week. You want to know how to get most connected and communicate with God? Here's a road map. And we have a couple of next steps on this. One of them is that you just set aside 10 minutes a day to connect with God. You take five minutes and you just share from your heart, God, this is what I'm going through. And then you take five minutes and you hear from Him. Now, He may not be thunder to you, okay? But you'll get a sense that God says something to you. And maybe you just write it down on this sheet. And you say, tomorrow, God, I'm going to listen to you again. Five minutes where you pray, you talk to Him, and five minutes where you pray, where you listen to Him. The other next step is that you would maybe consider coming to prayer night on Tuesday. If you've never been before, you should come. It's at 7 o'clock right here at the Y, and we're going to pray. No one's going to put you on the spot, but it's a way for you to stay connected with God for the rest of the week. There's child care that's provided. There's music that we sing. You don't have to sing if you don't want to, but it's a good experience. And um, the way we're going to close today is we're going to sing this song called Healer that we sang in the first set. Because one of the things that I notice is that when people walk through those doors there, they come in with hurts and pains in their lives. Eighty percent of people who come to church usually are dealing with something in their life. And what we'd like is whatever you're dealing with, we'd like to pray with you a little bit. And so it might be a financial crisis, a personal crisis, emotional crisis, relational crisis, whatever it is, that maybe you could just have some prayer. And we're going to sing this song, and after that, myself and Pastor Isaac and the prayer team will be up here to pray for anybody. And, you know, a lot of times I greet people. I'm not going to do that today because we're starting a brand new year. And I'm just telling you, folks, you don't want to go into the the, the new year carrying something from 08. You want to be freed from that. And the most powerful way to do that is through prayer. And so we're going to let this closing song, Healer, be our prayer.
So let's stand uh, together. Nothing is impossible. 